Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Tuesday, December the 3rd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we dive into the aftermath, a look back at the game from the box score, snap counts, and key stats, as well as what we learned from the individual performances. Plus, a contract extension for safety Eric Rowe is now done. We'll look at how some veteran Dolphins are handling the positionless defense. Plus, We'll pick some players that stand the best chance to make Devontae Parker-like explosions in 2020, and we'll finish up with some college prospects scouting on the horizon. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We are top 100 today. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review, let us know what you think about the number one Dolphins podcast in the entire land. Follow me on Twitter, it's at WingfieldNFL. The show is at LockedOnFins, we'll follow you back, and check out LockedOnDolphins.com for the in-depth stats from today's aftermath piece up on LOD.com. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins! The big news that came across the wire on Monday afternoon is the Dolphins have announced a contract extension for safety. Former cornerback Eric Rowe. Rowe gets a three-year deal worth up to $18 million in total. There are $7 million in guarantees. So this deal works a lot like Jakeem's Grant contract that he got, Jakeem Grant's contract that he got back earlier in the summer. Basically a one-year audition. 2020 for Eric Rowe. It was 2019 this year for Jakeem Grant and that did not go well for Grant. But Rowe now has the opportunity opportunity to show the team that he's worth that second and third year option on the contract. Right now, the way he's playing, he is definitely worth the money that he earned on this deal. Since switching to safety, he's allowed just 13 of 28 passes to go complete, right around 46%, for just 106 yards. That's 4.2 yards per target, about a running back average passing against Eric Rowe. No touchdowns in that span, and he's made 32 tackles, 10 of those for run stops, within two yards of the line of scrimmage. He's tied for the 21st highest paid safety in football. He's just behind Bobby McCain at three quarters of a million dollars less. McCain makes 6.75 million. Rowe will now make $6 million annually, and he makes the same amount of money as Kenny Vaccaro with the Titans. And this, to me, takes care of the Patrick Chung role for the foreseeable future if he works out. The box safety who covers tight ends and running backs and can support against the run. He is positionless in this scheme. He can still play in the slot. He can come down off the perimeter and cover for you in any position on this defense. He can support the run. He's done all of that and then some since the switch to safety. So a good, low-risk, high-reward move for Miami. And if they can get him through those three years of that contract, that means they found their Patrick Chung. But the Dolphins still badly need a single high free safety. I don't think it's Bobby McCain because I prefer to bring him back down into the slot where I think he's best covering man up in that position, not playing free safety up over the top in that man-free defense they love to play so much. And does this mean the end of Rashad Jones in Miami? We know he has a big cap hit the next couple of years. My goodness, that contract just looks horrible and worse and worse every single day, especially when he's not playing. The Dolphins will have to eat a bunch of dead money to 
cut Rashad Jones. And given his lack of availability and the fact that he hasn't played all that well the last couple of years when he has been healthy, I just think it makes sense to move on from Rashad Jones, go after this free agent class or the draft at the safety position because there are plenty of guys who can come in and do the jobs you need a guy like Rashad Jones to do and he's just not available for you. And we were going to cover this on yesterday's recap podcast, but I'm glad that I ran short on time now because I go back to this article from Barry Jackson over the weekend when it was first reported that Eric Rowe was working on that extension with the Miami Dolphins. There were several quotes from the article about guys' versatility, mainly Minka Fitzpatrick, who basically says that he is playing one position, one role, doesn't have a whole lot to think about in his defense. And it starts off with this first paragraph here from Barry Jackson up on the Miami Herald. It's titled, Dolphins Asking Defensive players to do things many teams don't. Here's their reaction. And it starts off by saying Miami Heat coach Eric Spolstra likes to mention to reporters occasionally that, quote, we're not for everyone, end quote. Because of the team's demanding culture, which requires impeccable work ethic and conditioning, it's the same thing Brian Flores has been installing here in Miami. And for different reasons, Barry says, the Dolphins require defensive players not only to learn multiple roles, but to sometimes change their roles dramatically. Week to week, a linebacker can go from playing 25 snaps on the outside one week and 45 on the inside the next week. A defensive back could be a cornerback one week and a safety the next, or in the case of Jamal Wiltz, play bowl in the same game. More on Jamal Wiltz later on in this podcast. And I tweeted this out on Monday afternoon, how Miami had more concern over the Eagles' backs and tight ends by using more linebackers in the game. The linebackers accounted for 235 snaps. The defensive backs accounted for 280. And the top three defensive backs all played 71, 71, and 70 snaps, which is 100% except for the one guy who played the 70. But the number four defensive back only played 20 snaps in the game. That was Montre Hardage, where the linebackers, four of those guys, played more than 40 snaps in the the game. So it's a fluid defense that has multiple positions that can change on a week-to-week basis or even on a down-to-down basis. Vince Beagle has been one of those guys that has been asked to play more than a half dozen positions, including outside linebacker, inside linebacker, six technique, four technique, pseudo news tackle, and he doesn't mind any of that. Opposed to Minka's comment where he says, quote, the thing I like about here, Pittsburgh, is that we run what we run and we run it well. We don't try to do too much. We don't try to change it up too much week to week end quote. And if you guys are a fan of anybody in the analytics world, you know that Keith Butler, the Steelers defensive coordinator, loves to use the same base defenses much in the way that Matt Burke does, which is how you wind up getting Keenan Allen on linebackers throughout the course of an entire game like last season when he had 14 catches on that Steelers defense. So if Minka thinks it works there, that's great. He's a great talent, but I would much rather have a coach who's adaptable each and every week to what the offense wants to do. Plenty of other guys had commented on this. Generally, people like it, says Eric Rowe. You don't hear people complain. You don't hear anybody complain about, oh my God, I've got a lot of assignments this week. How am I going to play? They just study and get it done. No one really complains about it because we know we're trying to take away their strengths and the game is a lot easier when you take away their strengths. Whoever we're playing, we're trying to take away the strongest thing they have going for them. When you can do that, it's smooth and easy. Rowe continues saying it definitely takes someone to embrace it. We would all love to just run the same thing every week. That would require far less thinking. But on the flip side of that, if you run the same thing every week, coaches are smart. They will devise a way to combat it. If you keep running the same thing, there's a counter to that. Here's your weakness and we are going to expose it. Raekwon McMillan likes the idea as well. He says the upshot of Flores' approach is that it can create confusion for opposing offenses. That's what this defense allows us to do. So everybody's in lockstep. Brian Flores has created 
created that culture. He's created a mentality of the more you can do, the more you mean to this team, and they want to take away the opposition's strengths, magnify their weaknesses, and attack accordingly. Now go over to MiamiHerald.com and check this piece out from Barry Jackson. It talks about the Eric Rowe extension as well as all these quotes from all these players giving Brian Flores his due praise. We're going to come back on the other side of the podcast here and talk about the snap counts and key stats from the game on Sunday. But first, I want to tell you guys about Away. Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on during checkout. And if you're like me and you're homesick today and you can't get out of the door to go get yourself some food, you guys got to check out DoorDash. Whether you're stuck home, long day at work, or a tough day at school, treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Your sweatpants are on for the day, but you're sick of microwave leftovers and frozen pizza. Enter DoorDash, restaurant quality food with a living room dress code. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. Just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Not only is your favorite pizza joint already on DoorDash, but there are over 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities, so you might find a new favorite one as well. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 states and Canada, order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national chains like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, or the Cheesecake Factory. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code, all caps, one word, Locked On. Don't forget, that's promo code Locked On for $5 off your first order on DoorDash. As we do on Tuesdays here on Locked On Dolphins, we have the aftermath piece up on the LockedOnDolphins.com webpage. And if you guys heard that song, I am dreaming about summer right now because we got a bunch of snow over the weekend and it has me dreaming of South Florida weather, no doubt. And we'll be down there, my wife and I, for Christmas during the Bengals game. So come say what's up if you're in town. We'll be out several times throughout the week with different things to do, hoping to meet up with some Dolphins fans. But let's go ahead and get now back into the game on Sunday and the Aftermath article up on LockedOnDolphins.com as Brian Flores exacts his revenge against Doug Peterson and the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, granted, he was just the linebackers coach at the time. The Dolph- or the Patriots, I should say, lost to the Eagles in that Super Bowl. But now, Brian Flores and his team in Miami are learning how to close out wins and finish games at the end when the game is on the line. They had those early season games slip through their fingers in Buffalo as well as Washington. The two-point conversion and Ryan Fitzpatrick's interception in the end zone of that Buffalo game were definitely turning points in those particular games. But now that the calendar turned November, Miami are 3-2 and two over that time, which is a half game better than the New England Patriots, who are 2-2. Two and two. And after allowing the Eagles to roll up 31 points after the first possession of that third quarter, the Dolphins' defense held Carson Wentz and company to just three points on five drives. That fifth drive was the end of the game, just a couple of plays. So I wouldn't count that in there. But still, Miami's learning how to close these games out like they did against the Colts like they did against the Jets and now the Dolphins with more red zone success they converted all four of their red zone trips into touchdowns now rank third in the National Football League with a 67.7 red zone touchdown conversion rate that's behind only Ryan Tannehill's Tennessee Titans who are number one Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers and it's better than Baltimore Minnesota and Seattle. 
The Dolphins' offense has also crawled out of the cellar in terms of points scored. They are now up to 16.7 points per game. That's 29th in the NFL. Fitzpatrick and his squad are the 24th best passing offense, but the ground game is still, well, for lack of a better term, it's still grounded. They rank dead last in both rushing yards per game at 68.2 and yards per rush at 3.1. They do convert 34.6% of their third downs. That's 22nd best in the NFL, and their 50% conversion rate on fourth down is 10 best in the league. They are fifth in penalty yardage assessed against them and fourth in total penalties accepted against them. But the big area I'm sure Brian Flores wants to get fixed next year is where this defense ranks across the league. 30th in total defense, 24th against the past, 31st on the ground, and they rank dead last with 31.4 points per game. Still kind of skewed by those first two games of the season, but still not good enough for Brian Flores. And they allow red zone touchdowns 60.9% of the time. That's 25th in defensive red zone, and they are 20 27th on third down stop rate, giving up 44.4% conversions on third downs. For the offensive snap counts, the offensive line made it through most of the game. Julian Davenport missed three snaps. Jamarcus Webb played seven on the day, so they did have some heavy packages out there. Everybody else, Dieter, Kilgore, Calhoun, and Davis all played 72 snaps. So did Ryan Fitzpatrick, good for 100% of the snaps in the backfield. Kalen Balaj got hurt early, and Patrick Laird took over. He had 43 snaps in the game, 60% of Miami's total work. Workload. Miles Gaskin got 16 reps, that's 22%, and Balaj played 15%, the same as Chandler Cox with his 11 snaps. At receiver, Devontae Parker played 59 to Alan Hearns' 58 snaps, good for 82 and 81% respectively. Albert Wilson was next with 38, Isaiah Ford played 19, and at tight end, Mike Gesicki played three-fourths of the snaps, 53 of them, Durham Smythe played 37, and Clive Walford played 11. The Dolphins' passing offense was great against the Blitz, hasn't been so good coming into this game as Ryan Fitzpatrick was a 3-2 to two touchdown interception split against the Blitz with a 7 yards per attempt figure, but on Sunday he averaged 8.4 yards per pass when the Eagles sent a 5th rusher and threw one of his touchdowns against that Blitz. He was also phenomenal going down the field, completing 6 of 7 passes that traveled more than 20 yards, and those 6 completions totaled 3 touchdowns and 171 yards on the game. Devontae Parker was a big part of that deep passing offense as he caught four of five targets beyond 20 yards for 136 yards and two touchdowns. He is now 11th in yards per catch among receivers with 40 or more targets. He's 34th in yards per route run and 13th on yardage gained via deep passing of 20 yards or more down the field. Not too bad for a possession receiver, right? Miami also averages 14.8 yards per play when they go after Parker 20 plus yards down the field. He's got eight catches on 21 targets for 304 yards and three touchdowns on the deep passing. Mike Gesicki continues to be rock solid, caught five of his seven targets. All five of those moved the chains and he picked up 15.8 yards per reception. He's now up over 11 yards per catch on the year. He caught one on Malcolm Jenkins, one on Nigel Bradham, one on Nathan Gary, and two on Jalen Mills, the cornerback. We talked about Kalen Balage did not finish this game, also left with a negative rushing average. Miles Gaskin and Albert Wilson both had 3.5 yards after contact on average and Patrick Laird caught four of his five targets and moved the chains on three of those receptions. Shaq Calhoun had a rough day. He finishes with a 2.6 pass blocking grade according to Pro Football Focus. That was the result of five pressures he allowed, one sack, one hit, and three hurries. Julian Davenport was next with five pressures of his own, two sacks, two hits, and one hurry. And Michael Dieter allowed four pressures, although just one of those was a hit, zero sacks, and checks in with a 61.9 run blocking grade. The top honors for run blocking in this game belonged to Jesse Davis. 
He scores a 72.2 and allowed two pressures on Ryan Fitzpatrick. Both of those were hurries, and Chandler Cox and Durham Smythe both graded out positively in the running game. On the defensive side of the ball, Christian Wilkins leads all defensive linemen with snaps with 52. He's at 73%. Devon Godshaw played 48. That's good for 68%. Taco Charlton got back into the work of, or the flow of things, I should say, with a bigger workload. He gets 39 snaps for 55%. Avery Moss played 22 snaps, and John Jenkins down to just 21 in this game, further proving Jenkins' point that they will take you off the field and play you in positions as they see fit, according to who the opposition is on the other side. At linebacker, Jerome Baker played 63 snaps. That's good for 89%. Vince Beagle played 55. Raekwon McMillan played 51. And Sam McGuavin played 42. So four linebackers played more than 59% of the snaps on Sunday. Andrew Van Ginkle also had 14. That's good for 20%. Charles Harris only played nine snaps in this game. And Dion Lacey got one snap on the defensive side of the ball. In the secondary, Eric Rowe, Nick Needham, and Adrian Colbert only missed one snap among the three. That was Adrian Colbert coming off the field for one play. Montre Hardage played 20 snaps, good for 28%. Ryan Lewis had 16, Walt Akins had 8, and Chris Lamonts had 2. As far as the best performances, that goes to Sam McGuavin, who had his best day as a pro. He was credited with two sacks in the game and an additional hurry on the quarterback on just 19 pass rush reps. He also made three run stops and allowed negative yardage on the only reception that he quote-unquote allowed, a screen pass that he instantly sniffed out. Eric Rowe continues his run of good play since moving to safety. We talked about it in the open. Four tackles in this game. He did miss one, had a run stop, and allowed just one reception on three targets for five yards. He shut Zach Ertz out on two targets, including that pass breakup in the end zone. Nick Needham had a nice bounce back in this one, allowing just three of seven targets to be completed, and that includes two of five against Alshon Jeffrey for 38 yards. Dolphins linebackers played more than any game prior, and the results were not good for the former Buckeyes. Jerome Baker was the team lowest graded player from Pro Football Focus, although he didn't miss any tackles and allowed just 32 yards receiving on seven targets. I don't know how they got that. Raekwon McMillan allowed four targets to be caught and he missed one tackle with seven combined stops. Christian Wilkins had five pressures, but no sacks. He did hit the quarterback, had four hurries. So he's getting close, just not quite finishing. Taco Charlton got back to a heavy workload and he had three pressures, one sack and two hurries, including two run stops and a forced fumble. And John Jenkins had the top grade on the day with two hurries, a run stop, and again, just playing 21 down. So the idea here is that the Dolphins have built up the roster to a point where they have a bunch of good guys that can fill out depth and give you spot starters should you need them and give you 40, 50, 60% of the snaps before they add all the talent to the roster this offseason and the following offseason. This foundation, this culture has been built. It's exciting. And on the other side of the podcast, we're going to come back and tell you which of those guys could take their game to another level in the way Devontae Parker did in year number two under Brian Flores. Plus, we'll talk about some college prospects, all of that and more here next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Linkfield NFL at Locked On Fins. As I do in the aftermath pieces on Tuesdays up on LockedOnDolphins.com, this is the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We explore the snap counts and the key stats from Pro Football Focus and tell you where the team ranks across the league on all major categories. But we also put a third portion of that article in there, which is just kind of an off-the-wall, me-thinking-out-loud, Travis's Tuesday thoughts type of a thing. And I wanted to bring that over to the podcast and expand on it because I've been talking about how 
the Dolphins emergence from these guys on the bottom end of the roster who have come up and shown you that they belong in this league, whereas previously, last season, you hadn't even heard of those guys. That faith and that ability means so much for this team going forward because one, it sets a precedent for all the newcomers that they better know how to work just like Eric Spolstra or Brian Flores or even Bill Belichick going up to New England where Brian Flores comes from says we're not for everybody. You have to work a certain way. You have to be willing to be flexible and it's all about keeping your nose down getting your work done and just pushing through the adversity and accepting the success and going on to the next week and not letting it get to you. And that's what Brian Flores is beginning to establish. And that's why you're seeing consistent success from the same guys. And that's where we go to this part here of the podcast, talking about guys that might be able to make an even bigger glow up next season, just like Devontae Parker, who all of a sudden is playing at a Pro Bowl level right now in Miami. And this is in no particular order, just kind of throwing guys out there that I wrote down on my list. And we start here. I should say also that they're not going to all be guys that blow up into Pro Bowl form, just guys that could take their game to another level. And I start here in the defensive backfield with Jamal Wiltz because I think that this guy is one of the surest tacklers on the team, maybe even in the league. He is physical at the sticks. He understands where to get on his spot drops, and that's the ideal traits for a dime or dollar defensive back when you bring seven or eight defensive backs onto the field when the offense has to convert third down and 12 or third down and long. You want to get those guys on the field that can tackle and cover at that area. I think that job is perfectly suited for Jamal Wiltz going forward. Once they get more talent in that secondary, he rounds in to the back end of your secondary very, very nicely. Vince Beagle. Now, this is kind of asking a lot because he's already had a big glow up this season and he's been asked to do a whole lot. You heard about it in the Barry Jackson article playing four tech and six tech. I saw him as a five technique on Sunday in a true four point stance. That's just not his game if you ask me. I do think when they can move him more to a true edge outside linebacker position and get some bigger beef in front of him as the defensive end position and you take a little bit off his plate that he could be even better and maybe finally finish some of these hits and hurries that haven't quite gotten home for sacks just yet. On the offensive line, if we can just get one guy to step his game forward in the right direction, that would be nice. Michael Dieter is the obvious pick here. I think he's shown incremental progress in some of the things that he does. He's always available, hasn't missed a single snap this season, played left tackle when you needed him to in the Dallas game, even though it didn't go well. He nailed that combo block, the catch and climb block on Sunday for the Patrick Laird touchdown. His technique has been getting better. He was well coached in college. I think some stability at left tackle and at the center position could really go a long way for Michael Dieter. He gets the why of the game. He's just not always executing. Hopefully in year two, he can do that. And I would say that Preston Williams would be on this list, but I imagine that next year probably is a slow start and kind of a slow burn for him to get going. Maybe by this point, he'll be an ace in the hole as he gets healthy and gets back onto the field and into the flow of things. I think Mike Gesicki really breaks through in an even bigger way next year because the last couple of weeks, we've seen him produce in a way he has not done prior in his career. And the one that I would put a permanent stamp on, I would use ink and let it dry immediately, is Christian Wilkins. You see his impact every Sunday. He's giving offensive linemen plenty of problems, whether it's with power, whether it's with speed. He just has not been able to finish either. And that's kind of the story of the entire Dolphins pass rush this season. This team just needs so much as rush linebackers, specifically in the middle. Both McMillan and Baker aren't doing it very well. Sam McGuavin did it a little bit on Sunday. That's what Miami needs in this defense, I think just as much as anything, is the rush linebacker position. Speaking of that, let's talk about a few college guys I watched over the weekend 
I apologize for not finishing up that Saturday because I had friends come over and the wife and I have been sick battling through some flu. She has the flu, I have a cold, so we're trying to get through it. But nonetheless, J.K. Dobbins watched his entire game against Michigan, been calling him running back one all year long. His stats against the ranked teams this year, something like nine touchdowns, 700 rushing yards. He piled up 200 yards and four touchdowns against Michigan. Enough said, he's running back one for this year's draft class. And in the nightcap, I watched Utah dominate Colorado. And I've talked about Julian Blackman and Francis Bernard, two guys who will be at the Senior Bowl, who are a fit at single high free safety and as a rush linebacker in Bernard. And they've caught some buzz from me on this podcast, but they're really loaded pretty much everywhere you look on defense. And we have to go back to the defensive line to talk about Bradley Anai. He's six foot three, 265 pounds, long arms, a perfect, perfect fit for the defensive edge position in this scheme. And the same is true of defensive tackle at Utah, Leaky Fotu. He's six foot five, 335, could fill that Danny Shelton role for Miami going forward. They need more depth on the interior of that defensive line. If they choose to go with a high resource at that position, I watched Javon Kinlaw against Clemson. That dude is so, so explosive and he arrives with force and quickness. I think he's an option with either that Steelers or Texans pick, but I don't think defensive tackle is that high on the priority to use that pick in that spot. He is so good at resetting guys and just physically imposing his will on them, something I think this staff will think very highly of going forward. I got another look at Isaiah Simmons in that same game, the Clemson safety slash linebacker, and there's just not a whole lot to say about this guy. He's a flat-out specimen. Miami's not going to get a crack at him unless they use that first pick in the top of the first round. He's going to go off the board in the top 10 unless GMs get scared of a possible positionless defender, which again, fits Miami perfectly, but he is an absolute freak probably my number three player in the draft behind Tua and Chase Young. And the number four is probably Jeff Okuda, who had a monster game, the smooth feet, the instincts, the ball skills, the ability to close and recognize the route combinations. To me, he has been solidified as cornerback number one. But I also think that not having Sean Wade, the slot cornerback slash safety there for Ohio State in that game was the biggest notable difference for that Buckeyes defense. They allowed Michigan to go up and down the field because they did not have Wade and they attacked that position really. Relentlessly. And that was it. That's pretty much the college football season. We'll have the weekend's uh, conference championship game recaps for you guys later on the podcast next week. We'll go over the bowl games, of course, and then we're going to start diving in to draft season because once this season ends here in just four more weeks, it's all about the draft and the Dolphins will be dominating Las Vegas this year and the 2020 NFL draft. As for today's show, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast Top 150 on there right now. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. Thank you guys so much for putting up with me. I know I'm sick. I know I don't sound great, but you guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for an all-22 review and crossover edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Dolphins.